And now it's time for God's Word. If you will join me, please, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1. Jeremiah 1. says in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. That means I set you apart. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. This morning I'm going to stay in almost uh, completely the first ten chapters of the book of Jeremiah. But you know how I preach. I often preach on one verse, or even a half of a verse. But this morning I'm going to jump around quite a bit in the first ten chapters of the book of Jeremiah. And I'm going to skip between multiple different translations. And if you will excuse me, I'm not going to identify which one I'm using. But I'm going to do something to help you instead. And that is, I'm going to always put the verses on the screen for you um, to help you follow along, to help you take notes. And that's because we're going to be moving around a bit. It's going to be kind of a different message in the sense that it's going to be in sort of reverse order. The altar call part is going to be at the beginning of the message. And then the other part, you know, the lead up to the altar call is going to come second. Now, how are we going to do that? I don't really know. We'll see. But this morning, I'm going to talk to you first about Jeremiah's call. And second, I'm going to talk to you about what Jeremiah has learned about God being relational. At Home Fellowships, our first unit, lasting eight or nine weeks long, is is about the concept that God is relational. And that unit is coming to a close, and I'd like to speak about that concept this morning. In verses 4 and 5 here, we see the call of Jeremiah the prophet. And the Lord reminds him of something that he probably was already uh, understood very well, that he was created by God and, and that God was involved in his formation right in the womb of his mother. Well, why begin by reminding Jeremiah of something that he knew? You would not exist if not for me. I created you. I have a special purpose for you. Because Jeremiah was formed for a purpose. Brothers and sisters, I'll remind you, the inventor of a machine knows the purpose of the machine. God was the inventor of this man, Jeremiah, and knew the purpose for Jeremiah's life. Well, you don't argue with the inventor of a machine, even though you may find other uses for the machine that somebody else invented. Take a bulldozer. Look at the very first bulldozer invented. It can do a lot of things. You can use it for a lot of purposes. 
You can use it as a counterweight because it's so heavy in order to uh, stabilize a tall tower. I'm just going to park my bulldozer there and tie my tower to it to give stability to my tower. And you know what? It'll work. You could use a bulldozer for that. Did you ever notice that a bulldozer has a great big shiny silver shield on the front of it? Well, you could use that shiny shield to reflect light in a photo studio if you wanted. It would work. It has steel treads that it rides on. And you could use those steel treads to pull a boxcar, a train boxcar, up a mountain. It would probably work. But you know what? The bulldozer was not invented for any of those purposes, and it's not well used for any of those purposes. And that wasn't what the inventor of the bulldozer invented it for or designed it for. Ask the inventor of the bulldozer, what's the purpose of it? And he will tell you it is designed in every last detail to push dirt. And you'll go, oh, of course. It's designed to push dirt. I see it now. Everything about it is designed to push dirt. It makes so much sense. It's perfect. All right, I understand. It's a silly example. It's easy to figure out the purpose of a bulldozer. But is it so hard to understand that God made us? And when he makes us, he makes us for a purpose. That your purpose is in God, your maker your creator, who designed you for a purpose. No doubt, the same as you can use a bulldozer for many different things, things it was not designed for, things that it can do, you can use your human life for many different purposes. It'll work. It'll work if your purpose is to make money. It'll work if your purpose is to accumulate power. But those aren't the purposes that you were created for. You were created for something for which you are a perfect fit. Beware your own mind, your own ambitions, your own heart. Because our lives can be used for many things that are wasteful that are wasting the life that God created. Find your purpose, not in your own passion and not in your own designs, but find your purpose in God who made you. God inserted into Jeremiah care for the city of Jerusalem. God's care. He came to care for Jerusalem like God cared for Jerusalem. He could complain that he wasn't cut out for the job. But the Lord knew that Jeremiah was created for this job. Now, if we could have the slides up, and we'll we'll follow along in the slides with our verses this morning. Let's see what happens here. Yep, there we go. Verse 6. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. For I'm a child. 
But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Well, this morning as we sit in church, we can say, I haven't been called to be a prophet. That's not my call. That's not what God created me for. Okay, fine. But that doesn't mean you weren't called by your creator to accomplish his purpose in your life. Your purpose might be different than Jeremiah's purpose. But you still were called to complete God's purpose for your life. Jeremiah wasn't the only one. Everyone is created by God and everyone is created to accomplish the purpose that God has called him to do. I understand that Men, especially, men more than women, don't like to be handed a purpose for their lives by someone else. They like to decide what their life is about for themselves. They like their autonomy. They naturally, because of their masculine animal makeup, yeah, for real, our flesh is our animal part. We have our fleshly desire, men. And our fleshly desire, our fleshly masculine desire, does not like having the purpose for our life handed to us. That's not not the nature of our flesh. We We want to be pioneers. We want to be trailblazers. We want to be competitors. And I think this is true for women, too. But I've been pastoring for quite a few years now, and I can tell you, I think it's a bit more, it's a stronger in men, particularly young men. And I think it's especially so in America, too, don't you? What a history we have. We're a relatively young country in the world, by world standards, but we already have a very strong tradition in our country of pioneering adventuring, trailblazing, entrepreneurship. But God's children, make no mistake about this, God's children, including men, including young men, are not called to blaze our own trail. We may dream A blazing new trails where no one has gone before. The truth is, they're most often youthful dreams that don't pan out. Very few of us will actually end up living that dream of going where no one has gone before and blazing a trail. Most of us will probably do what so many of so many in our country have done before us, and that is incur a lot of financial debt. And then work very hard to stay ahead of it. But I can tell you that's not trailblazing. A lot of people have been there and done that. It's nothing to be proud of in Christ. It's nothing to be proud of in the Lord Jesus Christ to incur a great financial burden and then work your tail off just to meet it. It is not the purpose for which God created us. 
Galatians chapter 6 verse 14 says, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Brothers and sisters, we need to come to church often to be reminded of who we're serving and to be reminded of our purpose. We are not serving ourselves. And we are not serving a creditor. We're not serving a bank. We're not serving a corporate CEO. We're not serving a company prospectus. We're not serving a business plan. And we're not serving a pastor either. We're serving God Almighty. We're serving God. That's nothing to sneeze at. That's nothing to chip at. There we are serving the God of the universe, the creator of our souls. And, the, and we need to consult the creator of us to learn the purpose of us. None of us is called to serve God more while others are called to serve God less. Oh, Brother Brian, you were called to serve God more. You were 17 years old and in the baptism tank, and God gave you a vision of yourself preaching. You were called to serve God more. I never looked at it that way. Do you look at it that way? Please don't. None of us was called to serve God more and some to serve God less. We were all called to serve God fully. Every one of us. None more and none less. Every servant of Christ denies himself. Jesus said it, if any man come after me, let him deny himself. There is no serving Christ and getting around that. There is no getting by without that. You've got to take up your cross. You've got to deny yourself and follow him. He's not going to follow you. You're going to follow him in Christ. He'll, he'll lead you in a good path. He'll lead you in a good way. He'll leave you in a, lead you in a way of blessing. We need to give up the trail to God. God, you lead me. You lead me, Lord. It's the cry of every true Christian, isn't it? It's the cry of the heart of the redeemed. In fact, you can hardly call yourself a Christian if you're not also calling out to God, lead me. Isn't that where we began at the altar when we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? Oh God, lead me from now on in my life. Lead me. Amen? It'll get warmer in here if we all shout amen together. In case you're watching from home on Living Word Live, it's only 60 degrees in here this morning. I, th I think we'll be all right. I'm not mocking it. It could be difficult for some of you, but we're pretty gritty in Christ, right? I don't have to be the star of my own show, O oh Lord. I do not have to be the star of my show. 
You be the star. You be the center. I do not have to discover a new way, a new trail. I will follow you. God gave Jeremiah his heart about Jerusalem. This one city, a special place God called the city of God. Jeremiah lived in Jerusalem during the reigns of Josiah, of Jehoiakim, of Jehoiakim, and of Zedekiah. And he preached for approximately 40 years. He prophesied that Jerusalem would be destroyed because of its idolatry, but he stayed with Jerusalem when it was destroyed, as it was being destroyed. He went with the captives of Jerusalem to Babylon. He went with them. He was thoroughly rooted in Jerusalem. Brothers and sisters, our Jerusalem is the church, especially the local church where we've been placed. You must know the purpose of God for your life, and the Bible shows us that one of God's purposes is to place us in a local church. God sets the members in the body as it pleases him. So says 1 Corinthians 12, 18. Look at this verse, I call it the other, John 3, 16. Whereby, uh, I'm sorry, hereby perceive we the love of God, that is, that we love God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. A lot of people say they're Christians today. They're Christians at large. They're Christians. They say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I don't believe in the institutional church. I don't go to any local church. It's just, you know, me and my own spiritual activities. I read the Bible. I pray. I feel I'm close to God, and they're, they're not part of the local church. And I wonder, it, how are they going to keep this verse? of laying down their lives for the brethren. How are they going to follow that verse? Because we must follow this verse if we are in Christ and we perceive our love for God by the way we follow this verse. It requires commitment to other people. We are not called to like them all. Even though I like every one of you honest. Do you believe me? You're all so dear. Oh, stop. We're not called to like them all. We're not called to agree with them all. But we are called to lay our lives down for them all. We may be called to this type of service or that type of service. But you have to be there. You have to be there to lay your life down for them. You have to be with them. Jesus showed us the way. He didn't do Zoom meetings from heaven. He didn't do video conferencing from heaven in order to enter into a relationship with us. One of his names is Emmanuel. And shout for me, what does it mean? Ah, the church knows. It means God is with us. He came, he was born, he walked, he felt the exhaustion, he felt the hunger, he felt the pain when they whipped his back. He came here, face-to-face ministry. 
Amen? Jeremiah was so infused with God's perspective on Jerusalem that it was an unbearable and and it was painful for him to remain silent about what he was seeing. He began to think like God and feel like God. Look at uh, Jeremiah 4.19. Oh, my anguish! My anguish, I writhe in pain. Oh, the agony of my heart, my heart pounds within me. I cannot keep silent. The only way Jeremiah could live with himself and have peace was to follow the call of God for his life. It's the same for all of us, brothers and sisters. We all have to follow the call of God for our lives. We all have to find the purpose for which uh, the, the inventor of us, why he invented us. It's true for us all. Peace is found only in fulfilling God's purpose for our lives. There will always be a fight. There, brothers and sisters, there will always be somewhat of a fight with doing the will of God because it always comes with a cross and a loss. Serving God always comes with a cross and a loss. Our flesh, that animal part of us, our pride, our selfishness will squirm. No doubt about it. In the end, it's only doing God's will that matters in eternity and gives us inner peace. Jeremiah was troubled by the hurtful consequences of choosing the will of God for himself. But he realized in the end it was the only way to be a man of truth. It was the only way to find peace. To repeat, God put into Jeremiah care for the city of Jerusalem. His preaching was all in Jerusalem until Jerusalem was taken captive to Babylon, and then some of his preaching was in in Babylon. But let's think of it today for ourselves, and not just look at Jeremiah as a guy off in the distance, but let's think about the care that God puts in all of us, all of us who are born again for the church. The church, the local church is our Jerusalem. And as God was inserting this care into Jeremiah, we might wonder what it was that Jeremiah learned about God. And I would say, above all, Jeremiah learned that God is relational. I think that the book of Jeremiah is one of the best books in the Bible. I don't know if it's the best book. It would be a very subjective thing to say, but it's a very powerful and strong book for talking about how God is relational. The vulnerability of God, or we'll say of God's plan and God's intentions, is very surprising as we read the book of Jeremiah. And it's almost shocking that God's plans are vulnerable. 
And Jeremiah actually learns, as God puts this care into him, about the emotional life of God. We can follow the story. God remembers a good starting place. In Jeremiah 2.2, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee. The kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. The Lord remembers when his people were different. His people had become something different than what they were. And the Lord remembers what they were. They were committed. They didn't need anything from the Lord. Their willingness to follow the Lord in a wilderness. You know, when you're following him in a wilderness, you've really got to trust him. In a land that was not sown, that means you could look around and say, well, there's not going to be no harvest soon. It's not that we're going to have to wait a little while for the harvest. The fields aren't plowed. The fields aren't sown. We're living in a wilderness with God. But they followed him there. They'd follow him even when there was no provision. They didn't need to be shown the provision first, and then they would follow him forward. They had each other, the people of the Lord and the Lord. And that was enough. It was all they needed. And I'll tell you, Living Word Church has this kind of history too. Oh yes, we do. Many of us began serving the Lord when there was no money in the bank. No house. No rich job. No retirement plan. And the response again and again was, wherever you lead me, Lord, just... Wherever you lead me is fine. Take me wherever you will lead me. When the Lord says, I remember, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth. When he says, I remember, it's like saying, I was moved by the way you were. I took notice. I was touched by the way you were. I was impressed with that devotion. I recall a time when Jesus was impressed and moved by the devotion of the crowd that followed him. They followed him around the Sea of Galilee for three days, and they had nothing to eat. But they just kept following him. And the Lord says, I have compassion on this people. They have touched me. Their devotion has touched me and moved me. And it's one of the only miracles that is uh, described in all four of the four Gospels is when Jesus divided the loaves and the fish and he fed those people that were following him. He's touched by our devotion. Such passion, he says. I see such passion in these people. I see such disregard of their flesh and their future. They just want to serve me in the moment with faith. And it touches God. When he says, I remember, it's like the Lord is asking, why isn't it this way anymore? And Jeremiah feels that. God is feeling it and sharing that with Jeremiah. Jeremiah is feeling it too. When the Lord tells the Ephesian church, remember from where you have fallen and do the first works, isn't it because he also remembers where they used to be and what they used to do? Jeremiah 3.12 O 
O Israel, my faithless people, come home to me again, for I am merciful. merciful. I will not be angry with you forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. Admit that you rebelled against the Lord your God and committed adultery against him. Chapter 4, verse 1. O Israel, you, if you wanted to return to me, you could. You could throw away your detestable idols and stray away no more. We see that the Lord does not condemn his people to destruction on a whim. He doesn't do it lightly. He doesn't do it easily. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to dissolve Jerusalem. He doesn't want to knock it down. He doesn't want to start over again. He stands ready to accept their repentance and and accept their humiliation. He He also doesn't want to surrender any local church to dissolution. I'll tell you, I'll remind you, there's not... I don't think there's a 2,000-year-old local church in the world. What do you think? A 2,000-year-old local church. I know the universal body of Christ is 2,000 years old. I know that. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the body of Christ will continue to grow and spread. Praise God, it's exciting, it's, it's glorious. But when it comes to localities... And the local church. I don't think there's a local church that's 2,000 years old. They all seem to die in time. But I will tell you that not one of, not, no death of one local church pleases the Lord. He is never pleased with the death of a local church. And he'll plead with a local church. He'll talk to a local church and provoke a local church. Please, it doesn't have to be this way. He grieves over it. He's touched by it and remembers how they started and wants them to go back. Brothers and sisters, let me, let me, uh, well, let me go to one more verse. Therefore, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. See, I will melt them down in a crucible and test them like metal. What else can I do with my people? What a question. What else can I do with my people? It's like the Lord is exasperated. It's like he's coming to the end of all the things that he might try. What else can I do with my people? And he says, I'm going to test them like metal. I want to tell you there's a test going on in in this world right now, a test of the local churches. There's a test of the faith of Christians that's going on in this world right now, brothers and sisters. I want to tell you COVID is a test. COVID is a plague that is putting the church to a test. It's putting the faith of people to a test. There are many churches that don't meet anymore since COVID arrived. Some churches have folded since COVID arrived. Do we understand That this is a test from God. That this is a time to have faith and stand up and keep serving Him with increased commitment, not less. Do you understand that this is a birth pang that has come upon the face of the world before Jesus Christ comes again? Build up the low places. In other words, the low souls that are beaten down and, and, and driven down and oppressed by the things of this world. Lift them up. 
Knock down the high places. In other words, those things which gain pride and glory and power and influence and esteem in this world. The things that are esteemed in the eyes of men are trash in the eyes of God. Let the high places be brought down. Let the low places be built up. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. He comes again. COVID is a test. It's a trial. The political situation in America is a test. Will we be blown by the winds of doctrine or will we stay with the cross of Jesus Christ? Preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Will we pass the test? We're being tested. The political unrest in America today. The possible death of democracy in the world. I could see it. Is it calling us to patriotism? I say no. Because I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we don't even know what patriotism means anymore. Both of the, You see how America is being divided and polarized? And they're both sides are raising the flag. Both sides are claiming to be patriots. Both sides are claiming to love America the most. I'm telling you, it is a test that is coming on the church. And the test is this. Will you, will you make a decision to seek me who created you, who created you for a purpose, to spread the gospel and the knowledge of serving Jesus Christ and the knowledge of the word of God and the promises of the gospel and bring more souls to heaven with you. It's time to double down on the Bible. Double down on spreading the gospel. It's time for devotion to the first works of the church, which from its beginning was spreading the word and doing good. Churches have had their attendance go far, far down. People have gotten the idea that they can do fine as Christians with only online videos and online recordings and printed matter. They feel like they can cut and paste together a suitable, sufficient, and nutritious table. But of course we cannot. We cannot do it. We are the body of Christ. We can do fine in Christ when we're put together with those that God has chosen rather than those who we have chosen. The church tries to choose too much nowadays. They've taken upon themselves too much choosing. In our consumer culture, where the market speaks and the customer is always right, uh, the church today does too much choosing. It has too much say nowadays. It is more creative than it is obedient. It is more choosy than it is chosen. We have been called to care for the body of Christ with even greater passion than we care for ourselves. A church cannot live a New Testament existence online. 
online church is the 21st century church? Is that what we'd like to claim? I will tell you no. The online church is not a local church. It is fundamentally different than serving one another and ministering to one another face to face. Jeremiah 7.33, the bodies of my people will be food for the vultures and wild animals, and no one will be left to scare them away. I will put an end to the happy singing and laughter in the streets of Jerusalem. The joyful voices of the bridegrooms and brides will no longer be heard in the towns of Judah. The land will lie in complete desolation. Jeremiah comes to understand something amazing about the Lord. And it is a thing that many people of faith do not understand, even though it is basic to the Lord. And that is that God is relational. I think it is the message of the Bible. It's not so simple as this. The Lord loves us. Although the Lord loving us is certainly under the umbrella of God being relational. It is not so simple as that the Lord always has his way with overwhelming power. Actually, that God is relational makes very clear that the Almighty, the Almighty will accept it when we hinder his plans. The plan of God is vulnerable to terrorism. Jeremiah 3.19 I myself said, how gladly would I treat you like my children and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me. Amazingly, in the book of Jeremiah, we see the Lord speaking as one who has been boxed in by the choices of Jerusalem. His desires frustrated. In Jeremiah 5, 7, it says, How can I pardon you? It's something that is repeated in the book of Jeremiah numerous times. How can I pardon you? You can hear the anguish of the Lord. You can hear the frustration of the Lord. I want to pardon you. You could have turned to me. I had great intentions for you, but how can I pardon you? I'm not speaking judgment to this local church. I'm not talking about condemnation of this local church. I'm saying, brothers and sisters, when you get to know the Lord, you realize that he is relational. Verse 9 says, should I not punish them for this? Who's he asking? Should I not punish Jerusalem for this? Should I not avenge myself against such a nation? He doesn't sound like he wants to do this, does it? It seems like the Lord is wrestling with himself, with this plan to judge the idolaters. The pain he will inflict upon Jerusalem goes against his desires. It goes against his plan. It's not what he thought. It's not what he intended. It pains him. God is relational. Abraham Heschel, the commentator on the book of Jerusalem, says God's hope was dashed in Jerusalem. Can you imagine? 
God's pain and disappointment ring through the book of Jeremiah. He points out often that when the Lord and Jeremiah, his mouthpiece, prophesy the coming destruction of Jerusalem, that the Almighty continually calls them, My people. They're my people. Jeremiah 2.5. All of this is taking place in the first ten chapters of Jeremiah. This anguish, this questioning. God even questioning, how do I pardon this people? It's not what I thought. It's not what I intended. It's not what I wanted. You guys can do better. Jeremiah 2.5. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? Being relational means being frustratable. But it also means this. Gloriously, it means being flexible. Frustratable, but also flexible. So for one passage in the book of Jeremiah, we're going to leave the first ten chapters just because it fits so well. In Jeremiah 18.7, we read, If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed. And if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it disaster, the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted... And if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. We see that God is relational, frustratable, but also forgiving and flexible. I heard that some of the home fellowships went very well Friday night in discussing the issue of forgiveness that it became very touching for some of you. There are a lot of emotions in the issue of forgiveness. It's not easy to forgive, is it? Well, I'll tell you, it cost God, his son, to forgive, to pay the price for our sins. It cost him dearly, and he did it willingly, because that's just his nature, to love in that way. 18.11 says, this is what the Lord says. Look, I'm preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. Brothers and sisters, tests have come upon the church in this world in the year 2022. I'll remind you of a conversation I had with my little grandson. He said, Grandpappy, what would you do if God gave you superpowers? And you could, you know, just snap your fingers and make the world change and make something change. What would you, what would you do? What changes would you make? And I told my son and it surpri- grandson, and I surprised him and it might surprise you because I said nothing. I would change nothing. God has those powers. 
God is almighty. He has those superpowers and he has not ended death in the world. He has not ended disease in the world. He has not made all the nations get along with each other. He has not stopped the drug addict from getting addicted. He has not stopped the rapist from his assault. He has not done these things. If he has not done these things, who would I be to do it? I wouldn't want such a power if I had it somehow in in a thought experiment. I wouldn't use it. Don't you want God to end death, crime, injustice, trouble in the world? Oh, yes, I do. And I pray to him all the time. Oh, God, change your mind about that situation. Oh, God, intervene in that situation. Oh, God, bring peace to that person. Oh, God, set that addict free. Oh, set, oh, Lord, deliver and save and heal that person who's afflicted. And then let God decide. And then give him the decision. Hand the decision off to God. Let him know what I want. And then trust and rest in his decision. Let's take it like this. The Almighty says to us, you have a big say in whether my good intentions toward you are realized. And may we feel the feelings of God. May we think the thoughts of God. May we have inserted into us His care for our local church. May we not gripe and grumble and fight and claw at all the things in the world that we don't like. May we not get COVID weary and stay home. May we stand up to the test with grit and faith and keep on serving him and put our care and keeping into his hands where they are better kept than in our own hands. Jesus Christ loves us. He'll take care of us. I pray that we stand up to the tests that have come upon this world and that we determine to know nothing save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. May we not get over smart. May we not get over thoughtful. May we serve Him instead with all of our hearts with the very love of our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Praise God. I actually think it's warming up in here, Brother Scott. I see you look pretty relaxed there. You're not too worried about it, huh? (laughs) Well, now that it's nice in here, Sister Joanne. Hear the word of the Lord. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I, God, Jehovah, will hear you. I will forgive you, and I will heal your land. Thus saith the Lord Jehovah. Hallelujah. Seek him, Lord, while he may be found in Jesus' name. If any of you needs the help of the Lord, You need the intervention of God. And you want God to insert into you his care, his thoughts. You don't want to fight with God's purposes for your life, but you want to accept them and yield to them. And this word has touched your heart. I invite you to come forward now. It's not so cold in the room now. 
I started early because I thought I would dismiss early, but it's actually a little warmer now. Or maybe I'm just warmed up by running around up here. But come on, brothers and sisters, if you, des- if you desire to seek the Lord, let's not be in a hurry. You know, we can think of some dumb uses for a bulldozer. And it will waste the machine because it's not using it for what it was designed for. Living Word Live was not designed for convenience. It was not designed to enable us to stay home when it's more convenient to stay home. It can be used that way, and we can't really stop you from using that that way. It's designed to help you when you can't come to church. Amen? Just a thought. Just a reminder. Use your life. The more important thing is use your life for what it was designed for. For what you were created for. Amen? That's the most important thing. And I pray God's greatest blessing on you in the name of Jesus when you fulfill your purpose for for your life. In the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. That's all for today. Thank you for your patience with the cold.